we're on a journey as a body actually it's happening to us in the leadership team it's happening to us as a as me as an individual Teresa us as a corporate body is we've talked a lot about our identity but actually learning to stand in it and not partner with and I'll explain what I mean with thoughts and feelings that are contrary to heaven's reality God's opinion of us God's got a very very high opinion of you and we taught this many times so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it now but the thing that's going to consistently shock you as you get closer to him is his high opinion of you Right, maybe we do need to teach that again. I'm just like the, Christianity and relig, more to do with the religious end of Christianity has really emphasised a lot of the negative view of who we are, and, and has parked itself and given given believers an idea that, that they're really only being true to truly Christian if they feel like they're worms. Or if they feel like they're sinners. And the, the trouble with this is that identity fuels your behavior. You're not a sinner because you sin. Sin because you're a sinner. You're not a sinner because you sin. So do it. what you do isn't the thing that, that defines you. It's who you are. What you do flows out of who you are. So when before we got saved, we were sinners and so we sinned. That was our nature. But when you get saved, you get a new nature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You're a new creation in Christ. Now, your new nature is not a sinner. Your new nature is a gift of... You've been given a gift of righteousness. Christ lives in you. The hope of glory is Jesus a sinner. Just check in. Checking your theology, Jesus isn't a sinner. He lives in you. He's the definition of the new you. So that doesn't mean that we don't occasionally slip up and sin, but what we do doesn't define us. I love Danny's illustration. Danny Silk's illustration is with us this week coming. But you know, if you walk through a workshop and you tread on a piece of wood with a nail in it and the nail goes into your foot, you're going to feel it, aren't you? And you're probably going to feel pain in your foot, but it's going to affect your whole body to some level. But are you a nail? You just have a nail in your foot. What do you do with it? You take the nail out. It's not changed who you are. And when the Holy Spirit convicts... This is a good way to check whether whether it's the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin or it's the devil condemning you. The Holy Spirit conviction goes something like this. Is your way too amazing to be doing that? What you're doing does not match up to who I've made you. That's Holy Spirit conviction. Because he's convicting you of who you are, not just of where you may be slipping up. What's coming from the other side is things like, say, say you're slipping up and you lied. Say that's a particular thing you've the, this is not Holy Spirit. If the conviction comes, you're just such a liar. Yes. No, I lied. That doesn't mean my nature is a liar. D- do you see what I'm saying? Yes. That that that's 
That's putting an identity on you that is no longer your identity. Yeah. Never meant to say any of this, but it seems important. So who you are is who God says you are. You are a new creature, a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away, the new has come. Paul said he's been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by literally the faith of the Son of God. So actually true faith is agreeing with God's belief about you. And he has a higher level of faith in you often than we have of ourselves. Yeah? So he has faith in you. He believes in you. And we live, we're called to live by his faith in us, not our faith in us. Okay, we need a scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, through to about 3. 2 Corinthians 10. I want to talk about baking, um, watching too much bake bake off (laughs) catch-ups. I confess. You don't get the Great British Bake Off in South Africa, so we've got it on our little recorder box. So, it wasn't a pancake. <laughs> My scone may not have risen very high, though. But <laughs> and I've got a sloppy bottom on my flan. But <laughs> I wasn't trying to say baking the lie that binds. I was trying to say breaking the lie that binds is what, <laughs> in the time I've got left, I need to talk to you about. <laughs> not baking the lie, breaking the lie that binds. Um, we, what the truth is that we're in, we are incredible. We are, I think we sang it, we heard it. We are his workmanship. Ephesians 2 verse 10, we are his special work of art. Uh, we, are, we are the product of God's imagination. God doesn't make rubbish. Yeah. He, doesn't, he doesn't envision foolishness. God envisioned you before the creation of the world. You're the product of his creative imagination. How about that? He made nothing that was foolish or rubbish. Uh, okay, 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10, yeah, verse 1. Yeah, can we go to verse 2? There we go, that's what I wanted. Verse 3. I'm all over the place this morning. I definitely have got a soggy base. Uh, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Can we get the next verse? The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments, interesting isn't it, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to the obedience or to make it obedient to Christ. Um, I was going to give you a load of other verses but we're going to have to live you're going to have to do your own study. I was going to do a little study, but this, this will do for now. I want to help us get a, a more biblical worldview of, of your brain. Um, we, we, have, we, we grow up in a worldview which, which, says some, which is a closed concept. By that I mean the idea is we don't give any credit to, to what goes, that what could go on in our mind can come from anywhere else other than our senses. Yeah. So things can happen in our mind, but it's the product of what we taste, see, feel, smell, what we read, what we... 
But a bit, I don't believe that's the biblical worldview, and it, it lets us down as believers because things arrive in our mind from other places. And we're always just saying, oh, that just arrived from me. That thought was the product of me or of something that's happening to me or something that I knew or learned. So we, give, we, we, ha- we generally have not understood that, that the mind is a spiritual instrument. Actually, God speaks to you in your mind. And some of us are still waiting for the audible voice of God, and I'm sure that's going to happen. But most of the time, he speaks in your heart and mind. And in the Bible, they're all connected up. He's speaking to you right now. What, what can get in the way is other stuff that's happening in our heads. And where did that come from? If we are these incredible, amazing, powerful, beautiful new creatures... What is the thing in me that would stop me exhibiting that? Well, it's actually what, mostly what's going on in my head. Because yes. that's still not totally lined up with what he's already done on the inside of me. And the world is waiting to see more of the me God has made. And he's waiting to see more of the you that he made. Yes. There is only one of you. There will only ever be one of you. You're an, you are a unique example of God. And the world needs more of the true you, not the you modified by lies, upbringing, etc. So the battle for you is a battle. We're in a battle. We're in a fight. But it doesn't look like an earthly fight and it isn't happening in the earthly realm. We live in the world. We don't wage war as the world does because the weapons... And the weapons that we use are not earthly either. So the scriptures tell us, like in Ephesians, that, it, that we, don't, we don't fight flesh and blood. We, we, fight, we fight spiritual spiritual powers, principalities. Where are we fighting them? We're fighting them in here. Yes. 2 Corinthians 11.3, next chapter on, says that actually <clears throat> Paul is afraid for the Corinthian church that, listen to this, as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. All right, so he's saying the same game that the devil played that you can read in the, in, in the, in the first couple, three chapters of Genesis, the same game that he played like verbally with, with Adam and Eve, he's still playing that mentally into your head in the unseen realm now he's wanting to lead your thoughts away from sincere and pure devotion to Christ he's wanting to build strongholds in your head that create in you a a distance from God that doesn't actually exist but if you believe it does it does to you so the cross cancelled all distance There is no gap between you and him. You're one spirit with him. He is with you always. But often we think there is a gap. That gap is a lie. And that lie is connected to a way of thinking inside of us where we've partnered with some untruths that the devil's sown in to lead us away from devotion to Christ. We're actually told in Colossians 3 to... This has fascinated me. Because we are... This is my paraphrase. Because we paraphrase, paraphrase, paraphrase. Because we are seated 
with Christ in heavenly realms. He says, set your mind on the things that are above. Your mind is a spiritual instrument. It is able to be set into reception of heaven and, and thinking in and perceiving heavenly realms. And he actually says, it's up to you. You have, a, you have a positive place. You have a decision you can make to set where your mind is filled and what it connects to. Right now, you can start to connect to heavenly realities. You just can. You may not for other reasons, but the reality is, boom, you're there because you're already there. The only thing that stops us, blinds us, is that we're partnering with something that isn't quite lined up with the truth of what God has already established. It's awesome, just like, boom, oh, there I am. Oh, there's the angels. There's the smile of the Father. There's the presence of God. There's the... That's our default setting. It's not something we earn or just mature people get like that. This is like, this is who we are. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I think kids get it sometimes quicker than adults. <laughs> One of my grandkids said, he saw the cover to the, uh, the book um, Culture of Honor. And he said, said to his mom, uh, and on the book there's this picture of a knight. And he, and he says to his mom, there's only three. He said, that's, that's a knight. And they'd never told him what a knight was. And not only is that a knight, that knight's in my bedroom every night. <laughs> so mom wisely says, oh, show me. He said, yeah, he lives up there. Kid, kids see their angels. Every child has an angel that beholds the face of a father. They're there and kids see them. Sometimes we've made it up like, oh, it's just their weird friend. No, no, no. It's, it's, they're aware of the spirit realm. You see stuff. But if you're told you can't see, shouldn't see, it's evil to see, it's suspicious to see, bit by bit, over decades, you just kind of shut that whole thing down. It's just a lie. And even so, you're listening to me like, well, that's a bit suspicious. That tells me that we're partnering with a whole load of natural thinking. The trouble with that is our battle is not natural. So the, it's the enemy is winning if he can persuade us that this realm, does, we don't have no access, it's all a bit weird and a bit funny, and we should shut down to it, because that leaves him free to play in that arena, which is actually belongs to us. So because we're seated in heavenly places, and our new identity is that we're seated with, and he is seated in us, the one who has all rule and authority over all authority on the planet means that actually demon submit to us and, and angels serve us so we have authority in the spirit realm that's why the enemy wants to persuade us that it doesn't exist or it's suspect because then we start operating in it oh, some of you are looking like go back to South Africa you made in my brain so here's a few points the mind and its thoughts and its imaginations are a spiritual instrument capable of spirit realm interaction and influenced by the spirit realm. Not every thought that arrives in your head came from you. Some of them will have come from God. Some of them will have come from you. Some of them will have come from the devil. He's trying to lure your thinking into a place and build, build a set of arguments, all right? 
The strongholds, we demolish arguments. This is his weapons. He talks about we're demolishing strongholds. I believe verse 5 is an explanation of what that is. We're demolishing arguments and every pretension or every thought or imagination that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Anything that's going on in your head that is separating you for intimacy with God is coming from the devil. Jesus has removed all the barriers. That's what the cross and the resurrection was about. He did the dying and he did the bleeding and he did the rising so that there was no gap and that we were made one with him. So we need to get our little Holy Spirit wrecking balls out. So the demolition process is to do with changing the thinking process. And actually arguments are not so the way we do argument in the natural realm is that arguments be arguments. That's what we think. It isn't actually true. So the way that you demolish the arguments in your head that are separating you from Jesus are not by just having an argument with the argument. That, that's dealing with it in a natural way because that's how we think this works. But actually, we have spiritual weapons that demolish... The way you get rid of a stronghold is you knock it over, you don't argue with it. Because the source of the power of the argument is a spirit, not a set of reasons. Try these people here. The, the strength of what you think isn't in the reason, it's in the spirit that put the thinking in you. You think it makes sense, but anything that makes sense to you and keeps you separate from him has its source in a spirit that isn't from heaven. Yeah, but it's a great argument. Yeah, but the power of it is coming not from the sense of the argument, but from the spirit that put the argument in you. And the devil spends all of our lives constructing arguments inside of us to keep us away from our true connection to heaven and our true alignment with our identity. He wants to make you believe that you are rubbish, that you are a failure, that all these amazing things that are in the Bible or all these amazing things you see your spiritual heroes do, they're not for you because you're just too fearful, quiet, small, large, old, young. I mean, you can, we all have them. I'm too loud, I'm too quiet, I'm, I'm, I'm too gregarious, I'm not gregarious enough, I'm now too old. I used to not be old enough. Now, what, what happened to the bit in the middle where I was the right age? Well, the devil is never going to give you a thought that you're the right age to do what God has called you to do. It's always going to be in the past where you missed, so you missed it, or in the future where you're going to be, as Nick, wants, Nick, who's one of our leaders here, he wants to live to his 111st birthday, then he'll be old enough. None of that's true. It's just, it's just this whole thing of it's all in the future it's gonna, or you missed it in the past. God just says it's now. It's all a load of... So he'll build your, through your parents or your lack of parents or trauma through your life. He'll build things that are spoken over you, things that happen. He'll start to build and build and build a stronghold that says, you're rubbish, you're a failure, you can't rise up and be awesome. That's for other people. You can't heal people. You can't step out. You're going to be fearful. 
And, and he builds a set of arguments that seem so powerful that we just nod and we've agreed. And because we've agreed, it has power. The devil has no power until you agree with him. So there I am getting ready to speak. If I'd started to partner with, start to agree with, oh, it could go terribly wrong. Oh, you're not really up to this. This is too many people for you. Oh, you don't know this culture. This couldn't, you know, have you got the right notes? Uh, is anybody going to get healed? Because you're going to go for it anyway, aren't you? Yes, I am. But, is, 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 but you know, God might not heal anybody if you do that. And then you'll, you, he'll leave you looking like a complete idiot. That could happen to you as well. Where's all that coming from? But when you're in it, you have to fight it. My battle was not against the people in the room, the leader in the room. My battle was was what the devil was trying to stick in my head so that those people didn't get saved or healed. They didn't heal the truth that we were releasing. They didn't come. Because if I'd started to agree with that, it would have shut me down. I'm not going to be shut down. I want to happen. Anybody with me? You want to happen as you. Like, well, six of us. Come on, church. We want to have, let's get rid of the gunk. Opinion and arguments are the stuff of the spirit realm. Yeah, we've covered that. We are in a war, we've covered that. You're actually in control of what influences you. You're not just an open target at the whim of whatever arrives in your head. But basically, if you, you look at, the, at th- things like Genesis where the devil tempts Adam and Eve, that he's, he's not very original. <laughs> what he did then, he's still doing now. His basic lines of attack are all in that story. And because he does the same thing with Jesus, you think... And this is thousands of years later. I mean, he uses different language, but his basic lines of attack are identical. One thing he does, he wants them to doubt that God is good. So his implication is, if you eat this fruit, then you'll be like God. He's, he, he's, he's told you you can't eat this, but actually if you do eat it, it'll do you good. He's attacking the goodness of God. Secondly, he's trying to get them to doubt what God said. So based on, if you start to doubt the goodness of God, then you're going to more likely doubt the things he said to you. So did God say? Remember Jesus has just, heaven opened and God said over him, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. He gets led to be tempted. The first temptation is, if you are the son of God. That's what God just said over him. So doubting that God is good, doubting that his word, and doubting your identity. He said, if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. They already were like God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. In the image of God, he made them. Male and female, he created them. They already were like God. God's plan has always been to fill the planet with people that look like him. So the devil's going to be after you, trying to persuade you that you're not as amazing as God has made you, that what God has said to you isn't true, and that actually God is probably bad, and the devil's actually quite good. 
And the outcome of that is separation because he wants you to partner with him who is the original orphan spirit. Orphans feel alone. They feel disconnected. They feel abandoned. They feel not wanted. If you feel any of those things in your Christianity, you're partnering with the original orphan spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. He cries in our hearts, Abba Father, because he's making us feel wanted, connected, in, family, supported, loved, accepted, and affirmed. borrow your but Bible translators are, are incredible people and uh, they, they have served us now for centuries with good translations sometimes they have biases because they have other issues to deal with but you know remember when Jesus is transfigured yeah and he shines on the mountain. And you're looking at me like you never read the Bible. <laughs> Jesus is transfigured before... No, I don't read the Bible. I can't remember who it was. There was three, the three of the apostles. The James, Peter, James, John, the usual culprits. And, and there's Moses and Elijah appear beside them. And then God comes and parks his GTI glory cloud over the top. And Do you remember that bit? And it says he's transfigured before them. Transfigured means that what's in you comes out of you. And then in Romans where it talks about being transformed by the renewal of your mind, it's the same word. But transformed to us means, well, there's stuff out there that needs to get in here. But actually we're transfigured by the renewal of our minds. What's already in starts to leak out, what starts to show. All right, so you're, you are amazing, but as your mind is renewed to agree with God's opinion of you rather than your opinion of you or the devil's opinion of you, more of the real you will come out. You will be transfigured. You will be released. You will happen. You don't have to get it. It has to just come out of you. What I, I am in the process of learning to do is spot these things when they happen to me. So anxiety comes, fear comes, Lies come, spot them, and break any agreement I may have with them. Because over time, I mean, I've been alive on the planet long enough to come make a lot of agreements. There are many layers to my fears. Yeah. And I think, you know, pastors, leaders can be incredibly fearful people. They just dress it up with different language like anxiety or concern. Yeah. It sounds more spiritual. But actually it means I'm worried and I'm actually commanded not to be anxious. And if I am anxious, it's because I'm starting to agree with lies about me, about God, about my circumstances. So we're going to break some lies. So some classic things, fear, worry, anxiety. Oh, I'm worried about how I'm going to pay the bill. I'm worried about that That's comes in. Hopelessness comes in had lots of disappointments or we've been trying to fix something a long time. Hopelessness is something that can start to come in as a lie and then it becomes a feeling and then it starts to bog us down. Are you with me? And I think identity things, inadequacy is a big lie. Inadequacy underlies some of these other lies actually. He wants you to believe you're inadequate whereas the Bible says that in Christ he's made us, he is our adequacy. We are enough in him. 
So I don't know what you're feeling, but the, we, we learned this tool when we did the Love After Marriage course, so I'm just going to completely plagiarize this tool, but change the name. Because it had an American name. We're going to call it Nailing It. So this is what I was doing, or some version of this, in that meeting. I nailed to the cross my anxiety about this meeting. I break all agreements I've made with my anxiety about this meeting, known or unknown, and I repent of joining with those anxieties. I ask you, Heavenly Father, to send these anxieties about this meeting away from me, and now, Father, what will you give me in place of it? And we did that about the fear of arthritis. And then we actually did it with the fear of cancer. And when we did it, you could feel the shift in the room. Prayed for loads of people. Couldn't check it out, so I don't know the answer. But there are words. They're just trigger words. Yeah. And you start to get an ache in your... You get a certain age, you get an ache in your hand. You think, oh, it could be arthritis. That's fear of arthritis. As soon as you start to do that, you're empowering the lie. Oh, I've got a spot. Could be cancer. I've lived for more than twelve months. This is my. This, this is a real thing. Been happening in my life now for a year and a half. The doctors, you know, they, you get to a certain age, they want to take your blood and do all sorts of things to it. So they tested my blood, and there's something called a PSA level, because at my age, the most common cancer to kill men is prostate cancer. PSA is an indicator. All right, level. If any of you have read Paul Mannering's book called uh, Kisses from a Good God, it's his story of getting well through surgery. It's a great book because of, he had prostate cancer. He, same thing as me, he went for a checkup at a certain age. They took a blood test. He had a PSA level of 4.4. I went for mine. The first test they took of me, I was 6.7. That's high. He, he had a highly developed stage of cancer with four, a 4.4 reading. I go in my first test and it's 6.7. And being what we are, we go on the internet and like, my goodness, all these people are blogging about their prostate cancer and their reading was only 3.9. Or four. I'm like, my goodness. So, so they look at me and say, we're going to have to biopsy you, which is, I'm not going to describe because it's very unpleasant, but it came out clear. So yes. They can't understand it, but they, they find, and then they test me again, and it's gone up to 10, well, 9.9. So they're like, we're going to have to test you again. So you're not doing that thing inside of me again. Find another way to look. So they booked for me an MRI scan. Remember, this thing is, I'm reading about people who've got a, you know, a four reading, and they've got a well-developed, dangerous cancer. I'm reading a, nearly a 10. But what I'm doing all the time is I'm not partnering with fear. This is not cancer. I, this is not me. I'm not believing this. I'm not submitting to this. I'm not partnering with this. So they MRI'd me and said, Mr. Mr. Merrick, you're actually fine. I said, well, I kind of knew I would be. We'll test you again in a few months. So they tested me again, and it had gone down to a 6.7, and now it's gone down. So they're like, we don't know what's going on with you, but we don't need to see you for a year. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with me. And, and, I, and I know med, I'm not trying to make a medical point here, but the norm is I should be in real trouble 
But it's more the stories about what do I partner with on that journey, all right? Because that C word puts fear inside of people. And I know we're going a little over time, but I'm just, I'm just going to hold in because I want, to break, I want us to break some agreements this morning. And some of you are going to come into instant freedom. Some of you already have been thinking thoughts about yourself because you've been sitting here in this meeting that are like, wow, I'm amazing, aren't I? And you don't know why you're thinking that good about yourself this morning. That's heaven invading you. That's what church is supposed to be about. You start to remember who he really made you to be rather than told what you're not. So here we go. I would like you to ask Holy Spirit what specific anxiety he, he would like to free you from this morning. Okay. You have like 10 seconds and then we're going to stand and we, we're going to nail it. We're going to use the nail it tool. If you, can't, if you don't get a specific one, just you may be worried about something. Go for that. Or it could be hopelessness. You've just given up believing for something. So let's stand together and just declare this after me. You've just got to fill in the blank. So, so we're going to say, I nail whatever to the cross. You ready? Yeah. Go. I nail. Come on, say it, guys. If we all say it together, nobody will hear your stuff. Let's do that again. Say it. Proud, say it loud, but let's get it nailed. I nail to the cross. I break all agreement I've made with. Ready? I break all agreement I've made with. Known or unknown, and I repent of joining with. All right? Known or unknown, and I repent of joining with. I ask you, Heavenly Father, to send away. Asking you, Heavenly Father, to send away that stuff. Heavenly Father, what do you want to give me in place of it? Heavenly Father, what do you want to give me in place of it? Now just listen. There's a thought going to come. It's going to come from the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be humongously more exciting than you imagined it might be. Don't doubt it because it's awesome. If it's awesome, it's probably him. Have fun with it for a minute. Okay, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to go after the fear of arthritis. You ready? Whether you fear it or not, or think you fear it, we're going to go. It's a big name medical issue. We're going to break it. So I nail arthritis, fear of arthritis to the cross. You ready? I nail the fear of arthritis to the cross. I break all agreements I've made with the fear of arthritis. I break all agreements I've made with the fear of arthritis, known or unknown. And I repent of joining with the fear of arthritis. I ask you, Father, to send away from me the fear of arthritis. Father, what do you want to give me in place of the fear of arthritis? Pause. Something amazing is going to come into your head and your heart right now. Enjoy it. <laughs>